you are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. The Bible describes a world that is so full of life uh, that uh, God provides for his creation and for the people in it that they're really truly is enough. Uh, The Bible describes uh, a situation in the universe like this that God might actually really be able to care for us. Um, And and it doesn't do this in in a naive way. Uh, Because it also spends an awful lot of time talking about the ways that even though God gives us a tremendous, tremendous abundance as human beings, um, it never seems to be enough. And in our drive to get a little bit more for ourselves, uh, we often ruin and wreck that abundance for not only ourselves, but, but everybody else. And it's been making me think about um, this thing that has started happening in, in our house. Um, I don't know what the developmental stage is for this, but um, Foster has hit the like, the, like lying developmental stage. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a little scary. And, and the sneakiness stage. And for him, his uh, sneakiness all has to do with uh, candy and treats. And so like a couple weeks ago, we bought, Aaron bought a thing of Oreos. And, and I like to think we were particularly generous with him. Probably too generous when it comes to Oreos with Foster. But we were giving him Oreos that day. And, and who doesn't love Oreos? Um, and, and, you know, he had a good day. I mean, he had chocolate around his mouth that whole day. And he'd always just constantly ask for more. So finally, I stuck him up on a high shelf and just forgot about it. And that night, we were getting ready for bed. And I said, hey, Foster, um, we have this thing where he sort of does a few chores before he goes to bed. I'm like, hey, Foster, it's time to go to bed. Why don't you go do your chores? And he, he disappears. And, and about 13, 15 minutes later, I'm like, man, he's real quiet. And and sure enough, I walk into the bathroom, the door's closed, and here is Foster sitting on the floor, just demolishing the Oreos. <laughs> just, I mean, it's just Oreo after Oreo, and I look him in the eye and I say, Foster, have you been eating these Oreos? And he looks me straight in the eye and says, no. <laughs> and I'm like, because... Because if you have, you got to tell me, like, Foster, have you been eating these Oreos? And he looks me right in the eye, cold, calculated, no. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to be in a spot where we can't have Oreos in our house. <laughs> I don't want to live in a home where we have to lock them up. They, we already have to keep them away from me, but now, now Foster... And it just reminded me of this, this story that it just appears over and over and over again in Scripture. Like, it, it doesn't seem to matter how many Oreos I give Foster. He's always going to want another Oreo. It doesn't matter. I could have given him a whole sleeve of cookies right there in the bathroom. And the minute I turn my back, he's going to take one more, right? And he's a good kid. He's a good kid. And this is the story that plays out in Scripture over and over again. God is trying to convince us. The story of the Bible uh, is often God trying to convince us that he really does care. Uh, If you read uh, Genesis, you read the Old Testament, the New Testament, it is the story of a God who just constantly pours out gifts on people. And then those people, the minute God turns his back, they're in the bathroom eating the rest of the Oreos. Because it seems like uh, no matter how much we have and no matter how much God gives us, we, we instantly forget. It's, it's never enough. 
And we uh, find that even though God gives us abundance, this thing uh, in, you know, the Bible, Christian church word for it is sin uh, or our human nature or, or even evil, this evil thing in us, uh, it prevents us from experiencing that. So last week we talked about uh, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman that were given everything and just had to have one more thing and how that, that greed for just a little bit more, it, it prevented them from experiencing God's abundance. Well, the, the story in Scripture, it doesn't stop with Adam and Eve. Uh, the very next story in Genesis chapter 4 uh, that we're, we're looking at, uh, it, it begins with, with a new start. And it's another story, another uh, example of God giving abundantly and how uh, there's just this thing in us, this human thing in us that prevents us from experiencing that abundance and instead uh, drives us to destroy it uh, intentionally and, and, and unintentionally. And so the, the story uh, continues, scripture continues. So if you remember from last week, Adam and Eve, they take the fruit and God sends them out of the garden uh, as a consequence for their behavior. It wrecks all their relationships. But, but uh, Adam and Eve have something that, that humans have um, that's really good. And, and that thing is that no matter what happens to us, we're oftentimes able to start again, right? To move on. Even though things are bad, we find, we find a way. And, and by the grace of God, uh, they do. If you look at Genesis 4, it begins like this, uh, verse 1. They're, they're out of the garden. The, the door is locked, and it says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to Cain. Uh, how awesome is that, that even in a dark, difficult, broken world, uh, there's new life? And, and she says this. She says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Uh, the name Cain in scripture means acquired. And so she's saying, look, I got myself a man. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Uh, and it says uh, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And so, you know, we've got this, this new uh, beautiful start. God has given two children. And, and as we go through the story, you're going to notice something uh, that's kind of, uh, I think is interesting about the Old Testament. Um, Scripture, the Old Testament, uh, doesn't always give us a lot of details about things. Uh, uh, these, uh, this way of telling uh, history, telling stories, it leaves a lot of gaps in the narrative. Um, because back in the day, you know, when these uh, stories were first passed down, they were passed down orally. Uh, and then when they were written down, it wasn't like today where you could just put like a thousand pages on the internet or something. Uh, no, they were limited by paper. Uh, so, uh, so these uh, narratives are, are really short and they're really condensed. And it's like taking a two-hour movie and smashing it down into like 10 lines. And so as we read through this, it's important to know uh, that what's said is really important and what's not said is often intentionally uh, left out and that's sort of a place where we can engage with, with scripture. So it moves really fast. Uh, so uh, Adam and Eve, they, they have uh, Cain and Abel, they have a new a new start. Um, two brothers, and we learn a little bit about these brothers. We learn, uh, and not a whole lot, right? They were born, and again, it's fast. The next day, uh, it says, now we know that Abel uh, kept flocks. So Abel was a shepherd, a herdsman, uh, and Cain was a farmer, just like his dad. And so now we know we've got two brothers, one older, one younger, one's a farmer, one's a shepherd. You know, and even though they've left God's perfect garden behind, they're starting this new life. They're creating a life for themselves out here. And so Abel's the farmer, Cain's the shepherd. We got two brothers. And verse 3, again, it just jumps, right? It's so fast. Like they were born, 
10 words ago, and now they've got jobs. Um, and so, so it continues. In verse 3, it says, uh, in the course of time, uh, so a, a period of time goes by. In the course of time, Cain, uh, the older brother, brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Uh, he brings an offering. And, and Abel, the younger brother, also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. Uh, so in, in the course of time, and, and again, this is, it's intentionally ambiguous. We don't know exactly what this means. Does this mean that um, this was a practice that was common to them? They often bring sacrifices. Um, we don't know if, you know exactly when this was or why. We just know that at some point, uh, they bring sacrifices to God. And, and we don't even know why. We just know that they do it. Uh, in the ancient world, you know, the, the reason you bring sacrifices is one, it's to say thank you. And if you've ever uh, written a thank you note to a grandparent, you know the other reason why you write a thank you note is because you're hoping that next Christmas you get a present, right? It's the same thing. That's what these offerings are for. So Cain brings his offering of the soil to thank God for his work in growing the crops because Cain knows that even though he puts the seeds in the ground and he waters it, he's not responsible for making it sprout up and produce food. So he says, thank you, God, and remember me next year. And Abel does the same thing. He knows that he doesn't cause the animals to grow, so he brings a portion uh, back to the Lord to say, thank you, God, and, and hopefully next year I'll have, I'll have good, uh, good animals too. You'll keep blessing me, right? Um, and and it, so it continues in verse 3, the, the second half of that, or the second half of verse 4. It says that the Lord looked with favor on Abel, and his offering. Um, this line right here, um, looked with favor, will create all kinds of trouble in this relationship of these uh, two first sons. It says, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Um, again, it's ambiguous. We don't exactly know what that means. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to imagine that like Cain or Abel, you know, lays his, his animal portions out and God's like, attaboy, Cain, you know, gives him the thumbs up or whatever, and, or Abel, and then Cain brings his and God's just like, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but we can kind of understand, right, if we're thinking about thank you notes, um, what does it mean for God to look with favor? Well, it probably means that Things went well for Abel next year, uh, that God blessed Abel or continued to bless Abel, and, and maybe Cain uh, didn't feel that favor, didn't experience that favor of God. It says that God favored one and didn't favor the other. And, and if we're honest, um, in Scripture, both kinds of offerings are fine. Uh, both kinds of offerings are in Scripture as things you could, could bring. Uh, but it's always bothered me, right? Because for some reason, and this is where we're supposed to really plug in, right? For some reason, God favors Abel and not Cain. And we don't know why. And, and if we're honest, it, it doesn't really seem fair to Cain. You know, both are acceptable offerings. Uh, it's not Cain's fault that Abel raises the animals. And maybe God likes animal sacrifices better than, than plant sacrifices. Uh, it's, not, it's not his fault. This is what he has, right? The guy did what he was supposed to do. He brought a portion. He said, thank you. And he looks over and his brother is favored and he is not. And if you've ever been passed over for something good, you know what this feels like. And this is why this is constructed this way. We're meant to sit in Cain's shoes a little bit. 
and take a minute and say, I remember when that good friend of mine got a promotion and I didn't. I remember when that good friend of mine's dream came true and I'm still struggling with this problem I don't know how to deal with. I remember when I was scrolling through Facebook more exhausted than I've ever been in my life and all my friends are going to Florida in the winter and I'm stuck here shoveling snow. We all know what it feels like for somebody else to get something good that we desire. And in um, <clears throat> one of maybe the most under, biggest understatements uh, in, in the Bible, we read that as a result of that, Cain was angry. <laughs> God didn't look on his favor, and it says, So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And remember how we talked about that uh, the Bible doesn't waste words. Uh, the Bible doesn't waste words, but for some reason, uh, they felt the need to say that both... Uh, not only was Cain angry, they used another word to say he was very angry. Uh, and uh, they mentioned that his face was downcast. Uh, so this is, this is Genesis. This is God's way, the writers of Scripture's way of telling us um, just how angry Cain is. And, and we're about to, to find out uh, just how angry he is. And, and again, we, we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if Cain like, has an anger management issue and just like one thing happened and he like snapped. Uh, that's kind of how the story reads. But um, you know, there's, there's gaps in the narrative. Maybe it's more like you know, over the course of life, Cain, the older brother who in ancient cultures was supposed to be the favored one, repeatedly notices that God seems to be favoring Abel. Oh, everything always works out for Abel. Oh, everybody always likes Abel better. Oh, every time Abel brings a sacrifice, his harvest is greater next year, and mine just doesn't seem to be great. But we don't know, right? We don't know however long it took, whether it was instant or over years, but in the course of time, eventually, Cain got very angry, and Cain got so angry that the authors of Genesis felt the need to say it twice, that his face was downcast. Because even though Cain was born first, his kid brother was being favored, and, and his anger builds in this story. If you've ever seen somebody get what you felt like you deserved, you know what that feels like to let that anger build. You know, look at what they have. Look at what God gave to them. Look at them getting that gift that I've always wanted my whole life and I'm never going to get. And you know if you've ever been in that moment, you have a choice. You can either keep focusing on that envy, that resentment, that anger, and put more and more energy into it and build that fire up until it gets nice and hot inside your heart. Or you can, you can move on, right? It may have nothing to do with you, but when you see somebody that you know get something that you feel like you deserve, that, that fire starts, you know? How come they got a vacation? I worked so much harder than them. How come they got that job? I'm way smarter. How come they have that family that I wish I had? I'm a much nicer person. Don't I deserve a piece of that? How come that dream of theirs is fulfilled? Doesn't God care about me too? And when you let that anger build, that envy build, their gifts, the gifts and blessings of other people, the best things that happen in the lives of others, uh, we can no longer see them as blessings, right? Uh, our friend wins the lottery and it's a curse to us. God's gift to somebody else becomes offensive to me because it's not 
fair. And if you've ever built one of those little fires in your heart, you probably found yourself eventually very angry and your face was downcast. And, and so God loves Cain and he sees what's happening. He sees how in this moment of God offering blessing to Abel, he sees how Cain is responding to it. And so he steps in uh, directly. God steps in and talks to Cain. He asks a classic uh, Genesis question that you're like, I think you know the answer to this, Lord. But he says, it says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? (laughs) Why is your face downcast? And, And when I read that, I think like, Come on, you're the, you're the God of the universe and you're asking, why is this guy angry? It seems pretty clear to me. Uh, but, it, but it's rhetorical. He continues, why is your face downcast? He says, if, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And, and this is a really stripped down in the Hebrew. It's kind of like God is saying, if you do up or if you do good, won't you come up. It's very simple. Not a lot of verbs. We're saying, you know, if, if you keep being faithful, won't you receive blessing someday too? It's kind of like he's saying, don't worry about Abel. Worry about you. Because Cain has been nursing that envy, that rage, that jealousy, feeding that fire, and it's been growing and growing and growing. Just like happens when we focus on that. The more you stoke that fire, the hotter it gets. And Cain is so hot that God is worried about what is going to happen. God sees him about to go past this point of no return. He sees, uh, you know, in in the Gospels, Jesus says, um, harboring anger, you know, having anger against somebody is like murder. Uh, God sees how that anger is about to transform into murder. But because God loves Cain, he warns him. And he says, he says this, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And it actually uses the same words for Eve desiring to grab the fruit in the last story. It's amazing. It actually says, sin is sitting there at your door. It's crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And even that that word crouching is the same word in Hebrew that you'd use for like a coiled snake about to strike or uh, or a lion, you know, like ready to pounce uh, right as you come out that door. God says, this is it, Cain. Evil sin, that thing in the garden, it desires you. Will you rule it or be ruled by it? Well, if you know the story, you know that Cain does not take his chance. He doesn't uh, hear God, and instead he allows himself to be consumed by that crouching animal. He allows himself to be consumed by his rage, his anger, his envy. And he refuses to believe that God can care about him, but also bless somebody else. And the story continues in verse 8. It says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain's anger and envy and jealousy, it leads in Genesis where those things lead eventually. 
Cain lets sin rule over him, just like his mom and dad did. He ignores God's gift of abundance and blessing in favor of this scarcity mindset. This mindset that says, my brother's blessing is my curse. And that kind of thinking, it it always leads to death in scripture and in life. Because when you let that normal and understandable uh, envy fester, when you let that normal feeling to experience continue to grow and grow and grow in your heart, it consumes more and more of you. Watch out, it crouches at your door. And, and you may not be able, uh, uh, be able or be about to grab a rock and like crack somebody's head, but that envy will rule you. It will poison your relationships. It has a way of ruining even the things that you do have, and it leads to death. Because when we have a scarcity mindset, God's blessings towards others become my curses, when somebody has good news in their life and you're dealing with this, you're feeding this fire, um, it feels like bad news for us. We let what we don't have and what others have stop us from caring about somebody when they go through something hard. Our, our envy stops us from celebrating good news with somebody when they have it. It prevents us from supporting people when they really need help. It, it separates, it drives us apart, and it kills us. And the reason the Bible feels the need to tell this story is because we've experienced it. Because even though God has provided abundantly for our lives, we've all had a moment where we got mad that somebody else had something too. It's warning us, just like it warns Cain, that that snake, that sin, that evil, that thing is crouching at our door waiting to strike And though it seems like there's nothing we can do to avoid it, and if you read the Old Testament, you see the same story repeat over and over again with different characters. Different people that that envy each other and that let that get in the way of what God is trying to do. And throughout the Old Testament, it seems like no matter how much God pours out and blesses and cares for people, they always wreck it with things like envy and greed. But Jesus came and he lived and he died um, to defeat that impulse, to defeat that sin, to defeat that snake. Christians believe that because of Christ, we don't have to let that snake get us every time. We don't have to fall into that same trap again and again because, because of Christ, we can respond in a totally surprising way. And that way is the, the last verse of Romans 12. And it's this, when sin crouches at our door, do not be overcome by evil, but instead overcome evil with good. And if you you turn to Romans 12, you'll notice this whole chapter, uh, this is a summary of what this whole chapter is telling you to do. It's a summary of what it means to live like God's abundance really is real, what it means to be a little bit more like Jesus and how we see our possessions and the lives of others. If you look through chapter 12, it's, it's a repeated call over and over again to give the things that you do have in order to overcome that snake, that evil with good. 
The rest of the chapter uh, tells us what it looks like to find and share the things that God has given us. If you look at um, 12... um, Six, right? It says we all have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And it lists a bunch of different ways that God blesses us so we can bless the church. It talks about what to do when someone does evil to you. And it says instead of letting that evil fester in your heart, treat them kindly. Pray for them. It talks about living in harmony with one another. Taking the things that we think we deserve to have and instead using the things we've been given to bless others. Because instead of being seized by that snake, instead of being ruled by that mindset, that evil, because of Christ and what he did, we can overcome it with good. By becoming like him who gave everything he had and became nothing for us. By being generous with the things that we do have instead of being ruled by the things we don't. Sometimes I think as people of, even as people of of faith, we are so busy looking for the things that we want out of life and out of God that we forget about all the things that he's already given us. Uh, We get so busy looking at others' lives and, and envying their blessings that we forget what the point of blessings is. Uh... We forget that God gives us gifts so we can give them to others. The best way to change our minds about this world is to practice it. So that's my my challenge to to all of us. Spend some time this week. I want you to, to do two things. Sit down and write down the things that God has given you. Write down the gifts and the skills and the things that you have, whether it's uh, your personal possessions or that pickup truck that you have or that uh, tractor that you have or whatever it is that God has given you. Uh, The ability to listen to others well, the ability to fix a car or grow a garden or make delicious treats. Maybe it's an empty room at your house, but sit down and just write down the things that you have. And then ask God which of those he wants you to use to bless somebody else. God is calling us to forget what we don't have and use what we do to bless the people in our path. And when we start living like that, we actually start believing maybe that the things that God has given us really are gifts meant to be used in the lives of others. When we start thinking on God's team and using what we have to bless the people he calls us to bless, somebody else's success is no longer crushing to us. Somebody else's success is their opportunity to bless God with what he's given them. When you start paying attention to what you have and using them to bless others, you are far more aware of what you've received. Your well of compassion, it it doesn't run dry. In fact, it fills up more. You'll find that you had more than you thought you had to begin with. Because in Christ, we have what it takes to overcome the snake. We don't have to repeat these patterns anymore. So because of Christ, may we not be consumed by envy. May we not be consumed by comparison. May we not find ourselves with Cain finding death, but instead rule over it. 
Because of Christ, may we be set free from the blessings of others that feel like curses and enjoy the gift of giving what God has given us to somebody else. Would you pray with me? Lord God, it doesn't seem to matter how much you give us. We always uh, want more. There's this thing in our world, Lord, this evil that, that drives us away from the abundance that you're trying to pour out on our lives. It convinces us that what little we have is meant to be hidden and kept and saved. But Lord, you give blessings so we can bless others. Help us to see the things that you've blessed us with and help us to be faithful in sharing them with the people that you put in our path. We thank you, God, for what you've done and for what you're doing. Help us, help us to trust you as we live in the abundant world that you've created. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.